Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday here in the Morton Studios. That means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. We're also answering emails today, radio at agphd.com, so you can send your questions uh, or your soil tests. I know we're pulling soil tests right now today on our farm or cutting silage on the farm today. It is a busy time, and I'm sure it is for you as well. A lot of things going on. Uh, my brother Brian's out on the road here. Hopefully he'll be in the studio in just a little bit. But Brian, what are you seeing out on the road? Are you seeing some harvest going on or what's happening in the fields? All right. Having trouble catching Brian there. Are you still there, Brian? Well, maybe not. Maybe, oh, sorry. There we go. Ah, you had me on okay. mute. I so, love it. So I was just going to say, well, I did figure you needed to hear car noise uh, as I'm driving through the countryside of Minnesota right now. It's corn and soybeans where I'm driving, and yeah, I, I mean, there's no harvest that's really going on other than silage. But I'm I, I am impressed at how some of the stuff looks. And the meeting I was at this morning, one of our our research people, uh, John Weiss, was talking about how they had this comparison from back with older genetics all the way to newer genetics in this particular year. Um, 20, 30 years ago, looks horrible, just terrible. Whereas these new genetics, I mean, we have to be very thankful in this super dry year. I mean, we did not have much rain, but yet still stuff looks decent. The other thing that I heard from a farmer this morning that I'd never seen before is he said he had some beans they were starting to yellow up a few weeks ago. They got a whole bunch of rain, and then they turned grass green again. And I said, whoa, that's, uh, you know, that's pretty unusual. But it was so dry in their area, things were just starting to prematurely die. Well, then they got a whole bunch of rain. They got like five and a half inches of rain over a couple-week period where I was at. And he said everything greened back up, and boy, it looks good, putting more pods on and stuff. So... Anyway, that kind of leads me to one other point I was going to mention today is a lot of people at this time of year go, boy, I hope we can get a frost to even things out in my soybean field. No, don't ever hope that. Don't uh, desiccate soybeans. Soybeans are a different crop. I get with some crops you can go desiccate them, but not soybeans, and here's why. Because soybeans can put on more pods late in the season. They can fill pods all the way till the end. So until everything is brown in that field, that field is not technically done growing. It still could put on more yield. So we always want to hope for a late frost, typically when we get the best soybean yields. Yeah, the frost issue is going to be a hot topic here as we're getting some cooler nights, and certainly we're going to see some frost coming up really soon. Hopefully not, but... But uh, it's coming. We know that's just a, uh, one of the things that happens with the change in the seasons. Also, Brian, a lot of things, a lot of talk about the fertility and the fer- the fertilizer prices being high. Growers discussing what are we going to do about high fertility prices? Well, there isn't a whole lot you can do in terms of changing the price, but there certainly is a lot of difference in how you apply those products. Getting a lot of guys asking questions about strip till and Banding in two by two on on the planter, those types okay. of applications. Yeah, but here's what every farmer can do before you put on one drop, one ounce of fertilizer this fall. 
you can correlate all your yields to all your GPS soil test points. That's what we're working on right now on our farm. We've already started soil testing, and we'll match all those things up. It does not take a whole lot of time. So here's what I'm talking about exactly. You go out and either do your soil testing in grids or zones, but when you do that, you take a specific GPS point in each grid or each zone. Then you match up that GPS point where you pulled all your soil cores. So pull all your soil cores within about an 8 or 10 foot radius of that GPS point. But anyway, now you match that point up to We've done that for the last three years, put it into Excel, and then you can generate trend lines. And you can see, does stuff pay or does it not? So like the group I was talking to this morning, I just showed them data off our farm that showed us that the more potassium we have, the higher our yield. I mean, it was a stark contrast. So I just said, look, I don't like the fact that the fertilizer price is more than double last fall, but am I going to cut potassium based on this information I have right here? No chance in the world. But I said, we have other nutrients where the trend line is flat to the trend line being down. Well, in that case, then sure. I mean, why would I spend my money on that stuff? The key point is this. You never want to cut something that's making you money. The trick is you've got to figure out, well, which specific nutrients are making me money, and I'm telling you exactly how you can do it on your farm. It's going to make you all kinds of money. Yeah, it really helps when you're doing variable rate application out in those fields. We all know that putting on high rates of fertilizer can help us if we put them in the right spots. But when there are areas of your field that need the fertility and other areas that don't, what an important year to get this fertility application thing just right on the farm. It is so many dollars and I get it. Sometimes you see, well, crop protection's up a couple of bucks and seeds up five bucks. But fertilizer could be up 50 or 100 or even more dollars per acre. We've got to get this fertility thing dialed in correctly this year. Yep. Yep. I couldn't agree more. A lot of people have been panicking about, oh, higher input costs. No, no. We don't really have much for higher input costs. I mean, like you said, yeah, a couple bucks here or there. It's no big deal for seed or chem. The higher input cost is fertilizer. It's way, way, way up. And to your point earlier, yes, there are going to be more people that band, more people that strip till, more people that put stuff on with the planter, all because those are more efficient ways to get the dollars extracted in year one. A lot of the broadcast fertilizer that gets put on, especially if it's P or K or zinc or copper or iron, manganese, a lot of that fertilizer does not get used in year one. It gets used year two, year five, year 20. So if you own the ground, no big deal. But if you're looking for a short-term return on investment, the best way is ban the fertilizer. All right, we'll talk more about what's going on out in fields right now and take your calls and questions. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 corn head with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more, return more with a Drago corn head. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? 
Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and we would love to hear from you today. Start off down in Kansas. We've got Scott with us right now. Scott, how's it going? Good afternoon. Doing fine. You? You know, we're doing well. We're doing well. we got a lot of stuff going on on our farm. Uh, cutting some silage here, taking some soil samples today right after that. Uh, how about down in Kansas? You got harvest going on. What's happening there? There are uh, a few guys are harvesting. Uh, got a little bit of dry land corn being harvested. The, the irrigated still too high moisture. Uh, no soybeans yet, and a few acres of grain sorghum being harvested. All right. So I I see years like twenty twenty one, and I think hot, dry. Could be a good sorghum year, but I know in Kansas it was kind of hit or miss. It was like, you guys got a monsoon or you got nothing. How about in your area? Did you get the monsoon or what did you get? Well, we had uh, excellent growing weather until we hit August. And then uh, at my house, I have an electronic weather station there. I had six-tenths of an inch for the month of August. Wow. And a lot of 100-degree days. But uh, it took its toll on the soybeans, knocked knocked the yields quite a ways back on those, I'm afraid. But uh, the grain sorghum seemed to thrive on that heat and dry weather. I don't know how it did it, but uh, it, looks, it looks promising. Yeah, sorghum always impresses me how it can, can handle those tough conditions, which honestly is why areas like South Dakota where I'm at and, and Kansas where, where Scott here is at, uh, big sorghum growing areas. So that that's good. At least something yes. did well. That's why we diversify. Exactly. Exactly. I used to be almost 100% uh, dry land, hard red winter wheat. But uh, I've, basically my acres are half that now on wheat and the rest is great sorghum and, and soybeans. With new genetics that they've got in the soybeans can withstand a lot of the wild temperature swings and and moisture swings we get in our area. 
Sure. Yeah, it, it really can be variable. That's been the story of the last number of years here that yeah. we get these just yeah. extreme of it. It doesn't rain. It gives us five inches or it gives us nothing a lot of times. And Exactly. So, we, uh, and it, it was very spotty, like I said, at my house. I had that 16th in August, but you, you could go uh, six miles away to a field at my son farms. And he was getting getting showers all through that time, and his soybeans just looked terrific on that. So you, you never know. Yeah, it's one of those things, too. We were, we were just a couple of... Um, couple of guys here glenn hers our, our research lead and i were, were chatting about this that that we've talked to a number of farmers with with the pandemic stuff going on and if there's a health related issue in the house a lot of guys have been staying close to home and and uh glenn had made the comment man i just want to encourage all these guys get out and drive around a little bit because if if it's tough where you're at uh you'll see tougher if you get just a few miles <laughs> down the road and and vice versa if you think oh man my crop's good there's there's some really good stuff out there and then there's some really tough stuff so it's Certainly a variable exactly. year, no doubt about that. Well, like I, like I said, the, the the rains that we got, we didn't have any just widespread, you know, those big lines and thunderstorms that developed. It's just little spotty showers that would form and dump two inches of rain in a three mile radius, and that's all it that's all it was, and then it evaporated. So it's just it's kind of a crazy August. But, uh, we did receive an inch and a half last weekend and uh, kind of brightened things up a little bit. Some of the soybeans that, that weren't already browned off uh, are kind of greened back up a little bit and got a pretty good pod set and uh, uh, still still optimistic. It's not going to be a big bumper crop, but it is what it is. But at least you're going to get a decent price per bushel. That's a real plus here. Exactly. And, you know, like you say, those late season rains, sometimes you see that extra cluster up at the top of the plant. And, hey, that can be that can be five bushels sometimes. So that that's not a bad exactly. deal at all. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Scott. Really appreciate talking to you. I know as, as harvest gets going, there's a lot going on down there. So stay safe, and, uh, and we'll talk to you again down the road. Well, thank you. You have a good day. Bet you as well. Let's head over to Wisconsin. Got Warren on with us right now in kind of a dry situation, too. Warren, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. Well, I don't want to sound like a broken record after the last uh, caller. <laughs> but we've been pretty much the same way here in southern Wisconsin. Uh, we were out at the uh, field day, and we had some rain here at home back then. And that weekend, we ended up getting about two and a half inches between the four days. And we had two tenths uh, two days ago. And how long we went in between rains in August, and I think we're about 8.4 inches total since I planted corn. So we've been been pretty dry, but we got rain actually. When the crop looked like it was going to die, you got our rain, so it kind of kept things going. And at least we got something to harvest this year, so not terrible. Yeah, I kind of kind of got in that discussion with a number of guys this summer that it seemed like they were getting just enough to keep it alive and keep a little bit of hope out there, but but not so yeah. much that it just started looking amazing. So not surprising. Now you were wondering about what's happening below ground a little bit. Uh, what what are you thinking exactly? Well, I just I was just kind of curious. We've never had this in my lifetime. I never had this dry for over a year, you know, in our area. And so the sandier soils are, are really hard and dried out. So I, I know it's got just like a flood. I'm assuming that kind of kills your microbial life in your soil too. I'm assuming. Um, what are the best ways to kind of reinvigorate that? I guess whenever we do start getting some rain or for next year, it's like that's some infurrow products would be better for next spring. Or, or what are your thoughts? 
All right. So being in South Dakota, it seems like if you want to see drought, all you have to do is drive west. If you if you aren't experiencing a drought right now, just drive west an hour or two from your farm and you're going to see drought in South Dakota. That's usually how it works. And what I found interesting, Warren, is, okay, so there are a lot of things still happening in the soil. If you've had heat and sunlight uh, and um, microbial activity in the soil, breaking down organic matter. It seems like a lot of times in South Dakota, if we have a, a dry year and it's hot and we don't get much for crop, the next year is a great one. And a lot of it comes down to mineralization that's happened and nutrients that have come available in the soil. And a lot of that is due to microbial activity. So I'm of the same mind as you. I thought, eh, if we're a drought or if we're a flood, we're going to lose microbes out in the field. And with the drought, you fill airspace up with water and force oxygen out of the soil. And I can certainly understand with aerobic bugs, you're going to have problems. But drought, it just seems like it isn't as bad as what flooding is. And okay. I do think it hurts microbes, especially the fungi. But man, it seems like the, the bacteria that are working on nutrient availability in the soil are still working out there, breaking down organic matter and and turning residue back into nutrients and nutrition for our crop for the next year. So I think you're going to be just fine, Warren. I really do. Okay. If you get some rain, you know, I'm betting that that last shot of rain you got, you don't have a puddle anywhere, did you? Uh, yeah, we only had two tents. I was pretty gone pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was thinking, I, I was I was remembering back to, to Scott talking about six oh. tents in a shot, and I thought, eh, oh. also, yeah, you're right. Two tents barely settles the dust out there. But I, I know yeah. we had we had a couple inches of rain, and there just wasn't a puddle anywhere. It just was gone and we've got a groundwater monitoring station on one of our farms and the water level the water table never came up at all so it, it never even made it that far so we could use a good drink brian says nope yeah. nope let's wait till after harvest i'm pretty certain that we could take a couple <laughs> inches now and it wouldn't hurt anything and it would definitely lower the fire risk in in some of these drought areas well, I'll tell you one thing I did learn, even though there's drought, you guys always preach about don't give up on your crop. And so I, I tried to live that this year. Don't know how bleak it looked. And I kept putting fungicide on and what a difference it made. Cause even with no rain, we had heavy dew every morning and, um, the tar spot was terrible on some feel like some neighbor's fields that are around mine that didn't put anything on their corn at all. Um, I mean, it killed it. You, know, you can see the leaves wow. are, were completely covered. Even the husks of the corn were kind of covered with it. So right in the field right next to mine, and my field has so little in it, but not enough to kill, kill the crop in some of my lower ground. But, yeah, the tar spot will come even if there's a drought. So I just kind of encourage people to, if you got two in the morning, here's a good shot you could get it, especially in, it seems like we got a lot of it in southern Wisconsin, northern Illinois, it seems like, a lot, last couple of years anyways. But you know, just because it's dry for a drought, you know, moisture in the ground doesn't mean the leaves aren't going to get tar spots still. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that, Warren. I know we had the dew as well, and boy, where we put a fungicide on our corn, it, it really looks a lot better than where it didn't get a, a fungicide application. Hey, Warren, we got to run. Thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. 
AgPhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions and comments on your crop and complaints about your crop. I don't care. We just want to talk farming on today's program. Our phone lines again open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Iowa. we got Dave on with us right now. Dave, how's it going? Hey, good, Darren. How are you? Pretty good. How close is harvest for you? Oh, I would say a couple weeks. Uh, we're going to do a little silage over the weekend, and then I was just out checking some corn today. We're just black layered, so we're still in the upper 20s, low 30s. There you go. Yeah, it's uh, good when we get to that point. Brian was talking about frost earlier, and once you hit black layer, hey, uh, bring it on. <laughs> we're, we're okay. We made it, and, and that's a good feeling. Yeah, except for the beans. I. I I've got some beans that are still pretty green yet, so uh, frosted definitely uh, knocked them back pretty good, but corn's corn's close to being safe. Well, I thought everybody in Iowa planted their beans super, super early this year. How do you still have green beans? <laughs> well, I plant beans that are a little bit later than uh, normal maturity uh, for our area, so I'm planting uh, early early to mid-group three. Oh, okay. And 
the reason we've switched to doing that is the the rainfall patterns here have been typical uh, drier in July and first part of August, and then uh, we start getting moisture late August and into early September, and I can still get uh, uh, blooms and pod set uh, on those late rains. So I think it adds a little bit to us uh, yield-wise. Interesting. Yeah, we hear a lot of guys talking about this maturity game, and and this year I think the biggest theme was guys planting some early stuff just to see what would happen if they planted something a little earlier than normal. But uh, you're right. There, there's a little more opportunity, a little more forgiveness sometimes than some of these full season things. So it's kind of fun to see how that works out. Yeah, we've been doing it for a while now, and I I seem to think more years than not we gain a little bit on those later later maturity beans than we do on earlier ones. Speak about maturity. You said you're going to do some silage this weekend. What do you do for maturity there? Do you plant something a little bit longer than you normally would when you're thinking about silage? Yeah, I do. Um, it's usually a little bit longer. So uh, grain corn typically uh, 110 to 113 day, and we'll plant like a 115 or 16 just to stretch out that harvest window. Uh, we have a custom harvester come in to do our silage, so i got to kind of wait on him sometimes. Sure, sure. Um, but but the genetics are just as important on silage quality, but I try to find something two or three days later than my my latest maturity for the area to, to use for silage. Yep. So how much silage have you got left from last year? Are you right down to the end where you're going to have to start feeding up right away? <laughs> yeah. I, I got uh, literally, I think, two or three days worth in the in the bag yet, so... <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll start feeding again pretty quick. Well, it looks like you got good weather, so I think you're going to luck out. Yeah, and we use TMR, too, so we'll probably stretch that over with some uh, – we've got some oat baleage yet from last year, and uh, we don't need our corn silage right away. But, um, yeah, it's been good good weather. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting. I know, I know the guys in our area with uh, dry weather were taking a few extra acres. Does it look like – you got a, a normal year where it's about what you had figured to start with for acres? I think so. Um, I, I think the corn is a little bit shorter uh, than, than normal. Uh, we had a wet, cold May, and I think that shortened our corn up a little bit, and then it backed up with a hot, dry June. So um, it, like this corn has been hit on both ends of the spectrum this year. Uh, we were cold and wet and then hot and dry and then decent again, and then it's been hot and dry again lately. So uh, Mother Nature hasn't been too kind to the crop. No, and, and if you had a choice, you might want a little bit of dry early so that root system goes down. You start off wet, and uh, you don't have super deep roots, and then it turns dry in a hurry. It can be a, it can be a challenge for that crop, no doubt oh, about that. Oh, yeah. Yep, it, it looked for, like we were raising pineapples there for a while in June. I <laughs> that corn did not love life at that moment. No, and and I know a lot of folks will say, oh, we just can't afford a bad day. Well, look, we're going to have a bad day a lot with our crops. We just got to do the best we can. And, and I think, you know, our last caller on, on uh, Warren from Wisconsin was saying, just don't give up on the crop. And that's what he did this year, and it's worked out well. And I, I think you're seeing the same thing. It's going to end up being halfway decent here. And uh, we, we got, uh, finally, we got some heat when it looked like, oh, it's never going to be warm. And then hopefully you guys caught enough rain to, to make something good. Yep, yep, and I agree. I think you you still have to manage that crop all the way to the end until it's it's done. So, even though it had some stresses early on, you know we did the same thing as far as fungicide and and some foliar uh, nutrition applications and those sorts of things. And I mean it's it's got to help. And if nothing else, you help 
make that plant a little bit healthier and it can withstand that stress better. So um, you, you hope that pays off and you don't know until you get in and do those test strips and, and check, but it makes you feel a little bit more comfortable at night knowing you've done what you can. Yep, that's for sure. Well, Dave, uh, good luck to you here. I know it's going to be a busy time here coming up the next few weeks. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you again down the road. All right, thank you. Sounds good. Let's head out to Colorado. I just happened to be in Colorado last week, so I, I saw a little harvest happening out there, too. How are you doing, Brent? Hey, Darren. Good, good. Oh, you should have stopped by. Yeah, way to put you to work. It's kind of crazy <laughs> right now. It seems like all kinds of things happening. Well, I was just talking to somebody that has an operation out in Colorado just this morning, actually, and he said, you know, I could sure use a few extra hands around the farm, so I know you would have put me to work had I stopped in. Yeah. It, it's, it, you know, it's unique here, even though we're kind of arid and dry. You know, we're getting ready to plant wheat. We're doing millet harvest. Dryland corn harvest isn't very far away, and then corn silage, and, and um, it just seems like we go, uh, you know, almost year-round, um, but having wheat in there, that always kind of, you know, there, there's never a, a downtime usually. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I certainly saw a lot of diversity going across Eastern Colorado with different crops. One of the questions I had for you is just looking at dryland corn, it didn't look nearly as good as the irrigation. It looks like irrigation really paid this year. What do you see in your area and what, what's the difference there? Is it just moisture? Is there something else going on? It, it's moisture and timing, and, you know, and I haven't, um, some of the neighbors got their dryland corn in really early, you know, 1st of May, and, and that stuff looked really good, and, and it rooted down very nicely, and I think did fine, you know, and I don't know timing-wise, I mean, we had so much heat, so when it pollinated, it was really, really hot, but our late corn, it was still hot when it pollinated, and and sometimes um, we have cattle, and so that usually gets in the way, and we're not always the, the first planted. But our later corn in mid to late May, usually we catch some of that monsoonal rain that comes up out of the four corners in first of August, and that'll help us kind of get through things, you know. And, and um, we did get some rain here a couple weeks ago, um, you know, some of the years along the edge of the road look really good, but when you walk out in there, there's some plants that don't have a real good ear on them, and and so it's it's really variable and wide open. Um, just depends on your timing and what you had. But I think the other thing I've had a couple neighbors tell me, and a, an agronomist too, if you had a good moisture reserve and you had good wheat stubble, it really paid off this year. You know, in the hot weather, it's never good. I think we were talking earlier to to a grower down in Kansas who said, Scott had said that his sorghum seemed to handle the heat pretty well, which wasn't a real surprise. What about proso millet? You mentioned proso millet harvest. How did that hold up with those kind of weather conditions? Um, some of the same. Um, some of the neighbors that got theirs in really early, that looks really good, and I, I haven't asked them about yield, but that, that looked really, really good. Um, we've had some variability on our millet. It's a little later. You know, we're kind of mid-June on planting that, early to mid-June, and it kind of stalled out, and we didn't get a lot of growth, plant growth, and then we finally got these rains, and now it seems to have 
you know, filled out those heads and even shot more heads. So we were a little slower, you know, on the swathing because we'll swath it in the windrows and then use a pickup head on the combine. And so we were, it was shooting late, heads late. So it kind of spread things out a little bit. Yeah, it's it's just interesting learning a little bit about, about all the different crops that are out there. Uh, Brent, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. I know it's a super busy time for you. Good luck, stay safe, and, and we'll talk to you again soon. Listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. We'll be right back. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts. And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates, and the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. That means we're taking calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show. And if you don't have a question, you just want to talk about what's happening on your farm, that's fine too. 
We like to hear what's going on out in the fields and, and what you're working on. So again, 844-44-AG-PHD. If you'd like to talk a little bit, got Jim with us right now over in Wisconsin. And Jim, uh, I'm going to steal a little bit of your thunder here. We talked with Warren over in Wisconsin earlier on the show, and he was talking tar spots. So if tar spots on your mind, we definitely want to hear about that. But if not, we want to hear your secret and how you're keeping that away. <laughs> I don't got a secret, but I don't have tar spots either. So. Well, that's that's good. That's good. Uh, I, I know the the issues coming out of Wisconsin this year, tar spot was a big one. The other one was pigweed. It seemed like a lot of guys were saying, man, it just kept coming this year with kind of some spotty rainfall and whatnot. What what were the weather conditions like on your farm, and what what's the weed control look like around your neighborhood? Well, the weather conditions, of course, oh, boy. It was really, like you said, spotty. I mean, two different locations here we farm, and once they're only about four or five miles apart, and there's a big noticeable difference, you know, in uh, the rainfall that we had, you know, timely. Three tents here and there that uh, really helped the one place, and the other place is uh, quite a bit drier. So a lot more uneven, a lot nicer here. Uh, weed problems, well, I see some of the witchgrass coming in, in, in the late, and that was because uh, early on, uh, I don't think there was a good uh, canopy to shade a lot of it. Uh, it didn't, uh, when it got in that dry area, it just kind of quit growing. So, sure. That's yeah, it was it was too dry for crops, but it definitely was wet enough for pigweed. At least uh, I was out in central South Dakota here just yesterday, and the guys made that comment. Well, not enough rain to get good crop growth and get good crop canopy, but there was just enough rain for the kochia, and that seemed to have an okay yep. year. Yep. Yeah, other than that, our, I mean, the beans look real good. They're real clean. Um, so... Yeah, weeds haven't been a big issue to us this year. We've got, and I got out there, well, we got a, we got a newer sprayer that's bigger and you can get a lot more done. We got out there and got did some timely spraying a little better than what we have in the past. So I think that helped too. Absolutely, absolutely. What, Where is harvest at in your area, guys? A couple weeks out yet or, or what's it looking like? Uh, well, corn silage is still, if you're bunker, if you're bagging, you are getting started now, you're getting close to that 65%. If you're upright, you're going to have to wait another half a week or so, maybe. Depends on how it dries down. The beans are turning, but I don't know if we'll be out there. Last year, we started right around the 18th, but I don't think we'll be out there at, doesn't look like it at this point in time that that, that will be starting harvest that early. And probably a little later, probably the 25th or something, more likely. So, and I don't know, our beans, bottom filled real well, but the top just didn't fill, didn't pot out well. So, that'd be interesting to see what kind of yields we get out of that. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting crop to grow. And as, as you dig around in soybean fields, I love that observation. Well, I don't, I was hoping you would say they're pod from head to toe and it was just fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But, but I just love that you had made an observation about, hey, the bottom part of my plant did well, the top part did not. And oftentimes, you know, as the growing season changes, as nutrient availability is really good at certain times, and then you go dry for a while and, and you miss some rains and you have some nodes that just don't have as many pods on them or maybe they have two bean pods instead of threes or something like that it's it's kind of interesting to to look at that and then see like your comment how just four or five miles made a huge difference in what you got for rain and what you're going to have for crops 
it, just interesting to see, okay, so what about the field that did get rain? And let, let's go take a look and see how that one potted up a little different. I'm, I'm betting you're going to see a lot of yield variability. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, you you walk these fields, you walk these cornfields, and boy, oh, there's a there's a real variability out there out there in the, in the fields. Uh, some of it's short and not very good, and the cops, you know, you don't get big ears, and the others, I got, I got ears that are 40 long and 20 around on some other fields. So. Wow. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You know, the the flex on some of these hybrids too is going to be interesting to see how they responded to, to some of the conditions too. Because I've I've heard that uh, we were just uh, like say I was out in Central South Dakota uh, just yesterday, and we saw just some wide variance in hybrid performance in in those kind of conditions and uh, planting populations. I had one farmer that had planted. 22,000 and compared it to some 40,000 under a pivot. And he thought the 22 might out yield it just because it was putting out a second year on almost every plant. And those kind of things are, are pretty neat. And the combine tells you some, I mean, you see numbers at the end, but uh, to actually look at the plants and really analyze what happened to them and how they responded. Uh, I love that you're doing that, Jim. And, uh, and I love that corn silage is going to get started real clo- real soon now, too, because that'll give you a good indication of what kind of yields are going to be out there as well. Uh, talking with Jim here in Wisconsin. Jim, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck here as you head into harvest. Hi. Thank you. Bye. We've got Steve with us right now down in New Mexico. Steve, how are things going down there? Oh, Darren, well, it's hot today. You know, we're, we're experiencing kind of some... Well, I wouldn't say unseasonably warmer temperatures, I guess, but it's, uh, I bet you we're going to reach into the low 90s today in the Four Corners region. So oh, wow. it's, uh, it's a warm day. It's good hay growing weather. Hay, good hay growing weather, but we are lacking moisture. Pray for rain for the Southwest. We are just really drought stricken. And um, yeah, we're, as farmers and ranchers, especially the ranchers, they're beginning to feel it. They've already uh, taken uh, their uh, yearlings. I guess you could say in some uh, some of their seven-month-old uh, 500, 600 weight uh, cattle uh, steers and heifers and so on to the to the marketplace early to get the best price they could, and uh, yeah, we're we're lacking water. Uh, cow tanks are a little dry. We didn't have the watershed like we usually do in the uh, Southwest Colorado region, and uh, so we're we're praying for more moisture, Darren. And and it's uh, one of the facts or one of the things we just basically face here in the Southwest region, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah. We were we were talking about warm weather up here, and certainly in New Mexico, you feel it down there when when you're not getting the the moisture to go along with it, and you're getting all that heat. Uh, what when you think about the crop ground? What, I'm assuming the irrigated crop still looked good, but but what what do you notice? Did anything stand out? Well, one good thing about it was the fact that in regards, I'm an alfalfa production as well as small grain crops. I do. Uh, a great deal of rotation crops in between that of my uh, permanent pasture or permanent grass alfalfa mix, um, which I'm a strong proponent for orchard grass, the extend variety. I, I love that. It's a, it's a great performer, uh, especially with the heat. It seems to do well. It's got a good winter tolerance uh, and, and, and selecting the best alfalfa that I can plant as well. And we try to get three cuttings here, you know, and I might get four cuttings this year because of the heat. So I'm, I'm looking at a fourth cutting, maybe possibly into this month. And then I'm putting some acreage uh, into Triticale. And I'm, I just got off the phone with uh, Southwest Colorado Seed in Dolores, Colorado to discuss about maybe putting in a legume with it. Maybe some, uh, 
clover. I don't know quite yet, but uh, so we're doing some crop rotations followed up with uh, Sudan grass, sweet bites. I call it sweet bites uh, coming up in the uh, after I harvest off of my triticale in, in May. So I think the bright point about, about this whole thing is that as long as we still have irrigation water and we're blessed with that, uh, with the good Lord willing that we continue on with uh, what's allocated for us, that uh, we can continue to raise some good grass alfalfa here in, uh, in this Four Corners area. I love this discussion, Steve, and my dad would often talk about this. He said, you take away moisture, you get into some tough growing conditions, and farmers have to be pretty resourceful to figure out how to make it. And you're trying new things and uh, and finding some things that work that maybe are not like the most common crops in the world. You mentioned orchard grass there, and, and you're getting started on triticale and some other things here. Uh, good for you, Steve. Really appreciate hearing, hearing about that, and uh, hopefully you guys catch some rain. I'll definitely throw some prayers up for you uh for getting well, some moisture so, down yeah. that southwest yes sir you know i'm from the far southwest corner of new mexico i'm on the boot hill on frontera a little place called animas it's off of i-10 in between right in between tucson arizona and el paso texas okay so we're in that uh, upper chihuahuan desert climate topography wise and um and and climate wise you know so i grew up with the heat and stuff you know we grew we were cotton row farmers down there we row cropped everything of course and you know, I do everything by side rows uh, up in this area. And, of course, some people have pivots. I don't have that luxury, but I do mostly uh, some lay-down pie, but mostly side rows. Well, I'm kind of glad you don't have the pivots, Steve. That'd be boring. It'd be boring if it was easy, and you might not learn as much either. Well, hopefully you catch the rain soon, Steve. we got to run, but it's great talking to you today. Good luck to you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Nothing waits for a farmer. Not the weather, the banker, the crops. It's never at a farmer's convenience. So when it comes to crop protection savings programs, how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate? Don't wait for rebates. Get the True Choice offer from Corteva AgriScience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products. Ask your local Pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the True Choice offer from Corteva. But don't wait. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. AgPhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. 
That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. It's about time. Applied Planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfuro Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Had some great callers on today, and I love when we get into this harvest time. There's just so much going on. I like hearing about some of the different crops in different areas, and it's just a great time to kind of figure out what are yields going to be like? I've had a lot of folks calling me recently. Hey, you, you guys are getting out and about. What are you seeing for yields? Where do you think it's going to be? Hey, it's great to hear from from everybody. So if you want to talk throughout harvest about how yields are going, we would love to have you call in any day. You don't have to wait for a Farmer Friday. Right, let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren question here that came from Terry and he said we're getting ready to seed winter wheat we need to put on some zinc some manganese and some boron and we're using a zinc sulfate that's about 35 percent manganese sulfate 32 percent and a boron that's 14.3 percent I'm just wondering since all these recommendations are in pounds of nutrients what's the conversion factor to get each of those products to the actual pounds of the element. Well, you got to look at a couple of things, Terry. You got to look at the pounds per gallon that you have. Like take zinc sulfate, for example. So we've got a zinc sulfate that we were using on the farm, 35.5% zinc. And it, the product weight was 11.8 pounds per gallon. So you multiply, multiply the 0.355 or the 35.5% times 11.8. That gives you 4.19 pounds of actual zinc. So if you wanted to get uh, a pound of zinc, you have to use roughly a quart. That's how you would do it. So you, you work uh, from the pounds per gallon times the percentage of the actual nutrient in it and just multiply those together. So you do the same. Just find the product weight on the manganese product and on the boron product, and, and you can figure things out that way. And then, you know, you look at, at dry nutrients, and it's the same kind of thing. So there's a lot of confusion out there, especially with dry. It seems like when you put, well, I put 10 pounds of product out, then you have to multiply that, that times the percentage percentage of what is the actual nutrient in the tank or in the in the bin. Hey, thanks, Terry. Really appreciate that. And good luck. And I'm glad you're going after these micronutrients, especially where a lot of the winter wheat ends up going. We seem like, to, or I shouldn't say we seem, we know that we're getting better survival where we're putting on micros and, and feeding the plant with everything that it needs versus a lot of guys are just going to say, well, I don't know what kind of winter we're going to get, so I'm not going to invest too much money until I get to spring. I love what you're doing. I love getting out in front of it. All right, got another question that come in here. This one is from John, and John is in Oregon. And 
Uh, oh, sorry, missed it. We got a phone call here. We'll get to John's question in just a second. Let's let's catch up with Mark in Wisconsin on the phone first. Uh, Mark, thanks for calling in. How are you doing? Good yourself, Dan. Not too bad. It's hey, it might be the Wisconsin show today. You're you're a third caller from Wisconsin today. Oh boy. Well, okay. So one had uh, one had tar spot, and another guy was talking about just spotty rains from one end of his farm to the other. So you're talking tissue tests today. Why don't you give us the the background on what you're thinking? Well, I've been sending in tissue tests for I don't know the last six eight weeks, something like that. Every two weeks on corn and beans, okay. the numbers were starting to drop on the last test. And the corn was starting to dent. Now we're at about half milk line. Okay. And I want to say talking to Dairyland Labs, they don't have, if I understood them correctly, and, I mean, they do the best job they can, excellent place to work with. Yeah, yeah, and they give you kind of a guideline of here's a target of where you should be, but that runs out about that point, correct, at about half milk line for them. So the question is really uh, that you're getting to, how late do you keep going? Because I know we we hear that a lot on our farm too. We think about, gosh, every once in a while we want to just go all the way through and just see what happens. But for the most part, you're not really influencing anything this late. Well, it's not the not influencing anything. It's just I don't think you're going to get very accurate readings when the plant is cannibalizing itself at this point. So, no, we usually wind it up when the beans or the corn start to senesce. When they are starting to mature, then we're done. So nothing much you can do at this point. Have you guys ever or heard of anyone that sees what the nutrient levels should look like for, say, I think it was Randy Doughty who raised corn that did not dent? Well, let's put it this way. Um, we are always trying to fill the kernels more. We've even had a little bit of corn, not a lot, but a little bit where it doesn't even look like the corn is dented. So the idea is to pack more nutrients in there. And what exactly are the right levels in the plant tissue at all points? There's no one on the planet that knows what that is. So, I mean, there are guys like Dowdy and Hula that are, are going to have And they're going to be able to tell you what they did and where they're at. But let's face it, if somebody could replicate this millions and millions of times, then they'd really truly know, but nobody's ever done all that work. So, nope, unfortunately, we don't have the exact answer for what you need. But all I know is you need a lot of P and K and micronutrients, and you got to time the stuff right. You got to have availability. You got to have good roots. You make it sound so easy, Brian. Uh Yeah, I mean, there's, (laughs) there's a lot that has to be done there. So anyway, but yeah, I mean, we just have to always keep striving for higher yields, keep the plant healthy as long as possible, reduce the competition. And, you know, I would say the genetics are a lot better. I was mentioning that earlier in the show. The genetics we used to have weren't able to handle things like the drought that we had in our area this year, and they weren't able to go for the big time yields. But, you know, when you mentioned like Randy Dowdy, but there are a lot of these really, really high yield guys. I love hearing their yields because that gives me hope and it gives gives me the uh, the information that, you know what, our genetics today are capable of producing unbelievable yields. So that just means that 
I, I mean, if we can continue to improve as farmers, we should be able to take more advantage of what these new hybrids or new soybean varieties can do because they're pretty awesome. Okay. All right. Hey, thanks for calling right. in, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. You Thank bet. you, Darren. You bet. Yep. Good luck. We'll see you. Bye. Okay, let's get back to John from Oregon's question. He said he's got about 80 acres with a lot of mare's tail out there. And he had a suggestion from an agronomist to try Weedmaster, but it wasn't perfect. And he's just wondering, did he just not use a high enough rate of Weedmaster, or is there something else you would do in a fall burn down to try to knock out mare's tail? Okay, so when you start talking about Dicamba, 2,4-D, and Roundup, Let's let's get into that just a little further. Roundup, we see lots of resistance. So adding anything that's going to contain Roundup probably isn't going to do it. Now, combinations or straight goods of Dicamba and 2,4-D, they actually will work quite well on mare's tail, but the trick is the rate. So on our farm, this goes back, this is probably, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. We had, we'd done a bunch of no-till for quite a few years, for about 10 years, and then we started taking those no-till fields and put them into strip-till. Well, we got major issues with both dandelions and mare's tail. And it was kind of funny when we started seeing the mare's tail and dandelion showing up on our farm. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Where did these plants even come from? We've never had this before, but we'd always done tillage before. Well, anyway, what we were really struggling because in the spring, it's always cold when we're planting, and you just don't get the same weed control when it's cold. And so... Every year we're fighting stupid mare's tail and and dandelions. And one fall, I was just sick of it. I'm like, this is it. Here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to literally stop the combines and we're going to go out and spray this week on some some of these nice days because we had some 70 plus degree days coming up and it was early October. And I said, we're shutting the combines down. We're going out spraying and we're going to use a quart of Banville because I'm sick of this. And honestly, when I said it, I didn't even know for sure that a quart was labeled because we'd always used a pint in uh, in corn, but a quart actually is labeled, and it's fantastic. Now, it's not like super cheap or anything, but it will wipe out your mare's tail. For the most part, it'll wipe out your dandelions. So my preference is a quart of Banville. If I'm not doing that, I'm probably using either two or three quarts of 2,4-D. And in both cases, you might say, oh my gosh, Brian, that's expensive. And what do you want us to do for rate? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kill the weeds, not just ding them up a little bit. Let's kill them as long as we're out there. It only costs a few extra dollars to wipe the weed out as opposed to just kind of make it mad. So that's what I tell you to do. Dicamba and 2,4-D are fine, just like Weedmaster is going to be fine if you use the appropriate rate. And that's all the time we have for today's program. So please join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.